What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. Talking a little Cardinals baseball here this evening as the team has crossed the pond. They are in London, England. Touchdown earlier today, I believe. After finishing up things in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday afternoon, that was a game to forget, a game that we have not talked about. We'll mention it briefly in tonight's podcast, but with a couple of days off in a row for the team in a row, we decided to kind of skip Wednesday night after a very nondescript loss by the Cardinals on Wednesday in Washington, D.C. 3 to nothing to the Nationals. We're not able to come up with the series sweep over the Nats, as uh, many Cardinals fans surely were hoping to be able to go into that uh, happy flight, the long flight to London on a a winning note. They weren't able to do that. And as a result, they conclude that four-game winning streak at a loss to the end of that, and so they're riding the L1 right now. But the Cardinals actually have lost ground on the division-leading Reds since the beginning of that winning streak. They've won four of five. Things are looking up, and yet the Reds just completely incapable of losing games at this point. Cincinnati now five games above 500 at 40 and 35. I've been telling you for some time that the Reds would be the team to watch in the NL Central, and I still believe this to be true now that they've won 11 games in a row as of the recording of this podcast. To move to five games above 500, as I mentioned, nine games ahead of the Cardinals, who remain in last place in the NL Central. I don't predict St. Louis will be there for long, especially if they can have a positive series against the Cubs in London, win a couple games there, which is maybe easier said than done. A Chicago team that's won three games in a row in eight of their last 10. But the reason I say the Cardinals probably not long for last place in the NL Central, the Pirates are resuming their normal operations. Uh, we, we now bring you to your regularly scheduled Pittsburgh Pirates programming. They have lost 10 games in a row to drop to 30 and four, uh, pardon me, 34 and 40. Cardinals are still three and a half back of Pittsburgh, but I don't think it'll be all that many weeks before the Cardinals can overtake the Pirates. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh ends up in last in this division based on just the wheels completely falling off for them. The Cubs have always been kind of interesting to me in this mix, and as of right now, I would I would still give Chicago an even better shot than Milwaukee. I have been very dismissive of the Brewers this entire season, just believing that their offense is not fully capable of sustaining anything, which you look at the run scored totals within the division, and that tracks. As of right now, Milwaukee, the only team in the NL Central below 300 runs scored on the season, and that's not just within the NL Central. They're the only National League team below 300 runs scored. As Milwaukee has put together 298 runs for the season, the Cardinals by comparison at 346, and even the Reds have scored 307. Uh, the, the Cubs at 338, the Reds leading the division in that category at 362. I just have been wholly unimpressed with the Milwaukee Brewer offense. Coming into the year, I felt that way. I still feel that way. The numbers seem to back that up. The pitching is the one thing that can keep the Brewers in it, but they've dealt with a number of pitching injuries already. And yes, that could trend in a better direction for them in the second half, but it could also continue to mount and and be a, a cause for concern. And there's always that lingering possibility that they do something similar to what they did last year and trade a guy like Corbin Burns at the deadline. Last year, it was Josh Hader that they got rid of. That front office seems to have more of a long-range mindset, and given the state of the NL Central and that probably any team that would come away with the division this year isn't perceived as one that's going to make a run in October, the Brewers seem like the sort of organization that 
might look at Corbin Burns, might look at the the fact that they've basically got no shot to sign him long-term once he becomes a free agent. You recall the prior offseason back in January, February, when the arbitration hearings were going on, the team absolutely ripped Corbin Burns in the process, and he had some public comments that he was not too pleased about the way the Brewers handled those hearings. And so I just don't think long-term Corbin Burns is going to be around, and maybe they figure let's get what we can for him. Uh, That's just a little bit of speculation, but it certainly seems like a possibility which is why I say the Cubs, I mean, they could be a team with some some money to burn if they decide to, to start spending again like a big market team, which we saw a little bit of that from them in the offseason. Taking a flyer on uh, Cody Bellinger seems to have worked out for Chicago. Uh, clearly, uh, Dansby Swanson was a big contract that they added. I could see them going after some pitching or going after some some positions of need at the deadline to maybe make a run if, if we see maybe signs of the Reds being human after all. But right now, Cincinnati, with those 11 wins in a row, are certainly riding high. We'll just have to wait and see in Cardinals land what it looks like, I think, because if Cincinnati ends up being a legitimately good team that wins 85 to 90 games, then, yeah, it's it's a long shot for anybody, especially the Cardinals, to be able to mount uh, the comeback that would be necessary to catch them. The Cardinals have 44 losses right now. Like, the number of losses that St. Louis has is going to continue. I mean, it's going to hit 50 here before long, and then you start to realize, oh, now it's 60 and even if the winds begin to catch up, there will come a point where it's like you're limited. I mean, it, it sounds so simple, but you're limited by the losses you've already accrued. It limits how many wins you can actually rack up by the end of the season. The calendar is going to begin to work against the Cardinals. I don't think it's to that point yet. I, obviously, they've got to start winning series and, and doing it regularly. They've won their past couple of series in a row, winning the final two games in New York and then the first two in Washington. Would have been nice to get that sweep. It wasn't meant to be with the, I think it was just a weird situation. It's not one that I'm reading too far into that the offense basically uh, died on Wednesday. 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. They left seven men on base. They racked up seven hits and two walks, but could not plate a run in the game. Uh, Every opportunity that they had seemed to go by the wayside. It was weird. It was raining the entire game. I, I think it was one where you just maybe were trying to get out of town to that London trip. Cardinals can't really afford to be in those situations, but it, it, just watching the game unfold, it seems like the way it went for St. Louis, and it's just one of those that is what it is. Um, Miles Michaelis pitched a pretty good game. Seven innings, two runs, could have maybe even been a little bit better than that, but he did a nice job, was pretty efficient, and then Palante pitching the eighth inning for the Cardinals in that one. So just a day where the offense didn't show up. Uh, Nolan Gorman did bust out of what I think amounted to an 0 for 26 that is something we've got to continue to talk about. I, I felt like Gorman had a, a really good shot at being an all-star. It's not going to happen now. My bold prediction, unfortunately, not going to come true. Uh, but the Cardinals really, I think, need to have his bat somewhere close to where it was. And right now, he's really sort of a, an albatross. He's an anchor weighing down that lineup any day that he's in there. He, he he got an infield hit to end the game. I think that was in the ninth inning that he picked up that infield hit. It's it's just not looking really very good at the plate, and Gorman has struck out in basically half of his at-bats over the past few weeks. Um, they've dropped him in the lineup, but it's really not been enough. You've almost got to have him out of the lineup, but it's that catch-22 because the way we talked about Nolan Gorman last year was similar, right? When he would go on a slump, you'd want to give him the opportunity to work through it because you know what's on the other side. It could be bountiful power and home runs and, and extra base hits, but... It could also just be more strikeouts because you don't know when that turnaround's going to come for him. And the Cardinals last year had the luxury of an Albert Pujols in the lineup where you just said, I mean, we're certainly just going to play this guy every day the way he's going. 
chasing history. And there was, you know, the decision was basically made for Ali Marmel, but this year it's not really the same circumstance. Yes, they have guys that are worthy of playing time. Yes, we are a, a hashtag everyday Dylan podcast wanting to see more Dylan Carlson out there because I think if you're talking long-term and, and, and maybe you're already a fan who has turned the page to 2024, it, it would behoove the Cardinals to look at the 24-year-old outfielder as long as they can to decide, hey, going into a 2024 where really just going into a rebuild mode should not be acceptable, I wouldn't think. Does Dylan Carlson fit the mold of a guy who can help you next year and, and be part of your long-term plans or not? The decision's going to have to come at a certain point, and we're kind of going to get into that conversation a little bit tonight because we don't want to talk too much about that game from Wednesday. So let's start to get into a little bit of baseless speculation, shall we? Sounds fun, right? And it comes from MLB reporter John Morosi, who I believe he's with MLB, yeah, MLB Network, insider with them. He put this out on Thursday afternoon, and we're going to kind of revolve a lot of our conversation throughout the rest of this B-Shape Daily episode around it. Before I read the tweet, I want to give you guys the opportunity or at least invite you to make sure you are subscribed to the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals Writer YouTube channel. You may be listening or watching on YouTube right now. If so, please like the video and comment with your thoughts about the upcoming trade possibilities that we're going to discuss on the show today. But make sure you're subscribed for live streams and Cardinals content throughout the season and want to plug as well a new YouTube venture I'm starting up. And from my YouTube channel, you'll be able to find this one. If you're a fantasy football fan, this will be a channel that you'll want to subscribe to. It's just called, for now, Brendan Schaefer Fantasy Football. But you'll be able to find a link to it as a featured channel on my main Cardinals Rider channel. But I'll be doing a lot of mock drafts and fantasy football talk as we sort of wind down with baseball season. We'll continue to do Cardinals talk throughout the year, and the offseason should be a really interesting time. But... That's also when fantasy football starts to heat up and another venture that I'm going to try to take on this fall. For those who care about that kind of stuff, definitely check that out. I'll be talking about that a little bit, but for the benefit of all the Cardinals fans who don't care about that, I'm going to keep the two channels completely separate. So uh, any of the fantasy videos will all be on the other channel. You won't have to worry about that if you follow the St. Louis Cardinals page. So appreciate you guys for being along for the ride. Spotify is where you can find B-Shape Daily as well, along with Apple Podcasts. If you just want the audio-only version as you listen to your podcasts instead of watch them, those are great places to subscribe to B-Shape Daily and give us a five-star review. We'd appreciate that as well. So here's a tweet from John Morosi that we're going to spend the rest of the night talking about here on the podcast. The Mariners have young pitchers. The Cardinals have young hitters. Sources say they have had dialogue about trade concepts at various points in the past year. To be clear, the talks have not progressed, but the fit is obvious. So let's stay tuned. That's from John Morosi of MLB Network. And so this is, I call it baseless speculation because this is not a new report that suggests any movement or momentum has been reached between the two sides, the Seattle Mariners and the St. Louis Cardinals when it comes to a potential trade. Although my reaction to this tweet was to retweet and say, Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill, get it done, guys. Because, of course... That trade has already happened five, six years ago, whenever that was. I think that was 2017 when that deal got done. But the Cardinals traded left-handed pitcher Marco Gonzalez to the Mariners. Tyler O'Neill came to the Cardinals. Both of those guys are still with the respective teams uh, that they landed with in that trade. So kind of a little funny. The Cardinals could be looking to trade Tyler O'Neill. I don't think, first of all, I don't think the Seattle Mariners are going to be uh, knocking down the door of the Cardinals to pick up Tyler O'Neill because, you know, they had him before and... 
he's not really done anything recently to suggest that they're missing out. So I don't think that's going to be part of this. But let's talk about the Mariners' young pitchers and the Cardinals' young hitters. Because when you look at the Mariners' pitching staff or from like an organizational perspective, you can look at their rotation this year. That might be a good place to start. Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Marco Gonzalez, the aforementioned, and then an interesting piece, Bryce Miller, that I'm I'm wondering on some of these names, like what's the level of possibility that the Mariners would trade a contributing starter from their rotation who has a lot of team control attached? Now, Jerry DePoto is their GM, and he is known to be in the top two or three of all MLB GMs that wheels and deals, makes moves, reckless abandon, not afraid to make a trade, not going to get gun shy. It's such an interesting matchup because John Moselak is almost the complete opposite. He'll make trades and he's done it. You know, every year he makes trades. But the notion of trading big league talent away is is not one that he often participates in. It's just a rarity to see, and especially to think about midseason. Now, you could go back years and years, and it's happened over the course of time, but it's always a very specific circumstance, in my opinion. Like Alan Craig, when they traded Alan Craig as part of the deal that got John Lackey, I want to say that was 2015? No, my mistake, 2014. Alan Craig at that point was damaged goods, is kind of the way I think the Cardinals were viewing him and the contract was not a huge one, but for a player that wasn't destined to have any more major league success with the injuries that he was dealing with, I think at that point it was kind of a, an albatross that you wanted to get out from under, and the Cardinals ultimately were able to do that. You can obviously go back to 2011, the Kobe Erasmus trade. That's an MLB guy that you you traded for a, a merry band of misfits, in all honesty, Edwin Jackson, Corey Patterson, Mark Zepchinski, you know, the whole deal. Cardinals ended up winning World Series that year. That was great. Trying to think more recent years. I mean, they traded away Tommy Pham, but the, but again, that was like he was kind of having a down period and they were looking to, to get some younger talent. So to make an MLB for MLB trade midseason is the kind of thing that Jerry DePoto would do. He has talked openly about his frustration with the Mariners and where things are and has had some inflammatory quotes about you know, we could trade for Babe Ruth in his prime and it wouldn't be enough to fix this team. Granted, that's a team that's a game below 500 right now. It's not like they've been terrible, but by the standard of of expectation that they had, I think, coming into this year, it's been a disappointment. They're sitting in fourth in their division, and that's essentially last place because uh, the real last place in the AL West is reserved for the Oakland Athletics, and uh, th- that's where they will reside. Uh, there's a 17-and-a-half game difference um, between – or. It, I'm mathing is hard right now, but there's a big ass difference. Put it that way. I'm not going to do the actual math between Oakland and Seattle in that, in that AL West. So DePoto, even under circumstances where his team was not causing him to give inflammatory quotes about the frustration and the focus level of the team, even in that world, I still think he would be active at the trade deadline. That's just the way he is. He's a mover and a shaker. During a year where he's openly disgusted with the way his team is performing, oh yeah, Jerry DePoto is going to have a loud trade deadline, probably trade half the roster. He's looking for MLB for MLB trades. The problem is they're looking for position player help 
which the Cardinals have. That's not the problem. But when I look at what they have to offer, I, I just read off kind of the rotation for the Nationals this year. And Bryce Miller has only started nine games, but he's kind of, I mean, you, you're, he's doing a nice job. ERA of 3.68. They've had Chris Flexen start some games as well, start four games. And Brian Wu is another guy who started four games, has a 5.09 ERA. And those are kind of their their main go-to guys in terms of rotation. I guess Robbie Ray's been injured, and so they've needed some other guys to come through. But like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby are two of the top young pitchers in baseball. George Kirby's got a 3-2-9 ERA. Logan Gilbert, not as strong this year, uh, a 4-3-1 ERA, which is a little bit surprising. I, I, I think highly of, of Logan Gilbert in general. He's averaging uh, more than a strikeout per inning at 84 strikeouts and 79 and a third innings. Uh, Castillo, Luis Castillo, obviously the former Red, has been really, really good with them. And so they've got some they've got some young dudes. The problem is I can't imagine if they're frustrated with their position player group. Yes, they need to add, and pitching is what they could trade. But I can't imagine they're going to be looking to trade a Gilbert or a George Kirby or even a Bryce Miller who those three guys are stabilizing their rotation. Marco Gonzalez is kind of their number five, and you could make a case that they've got enough young talent there to maybe replace him on a more regular basis. I have not looked to see if if Marco is still in the, the regular rotation for them right now or what the circumstances are. I can check the game logs here real quick. Marco Gonzalez has not pitched in the rotation since the 28th of May, so he must... Uh, perhaps he's on the injured list as well. I could have probably found that out. Yeah, Marco G's got the old forearm strain like Ryan Helsley does, but they're hopeful to get him back soon, aren't they always? So we'll see about that for Gonzalez, but that's all the more reason that it's an interesting tweet from Morosi because I don't know how easily you could part with an element of your team that's working really well if you're Jerry DePoto, especially when you have pitching injuries that you've overcome or you're working to overcome with Gonzalez on the shelf. With Robbie Ray on the, the shelf, has only pitched one game all year. And the young guys are really coming through to kind of stabilize things in that rotation. It's unclear to me, like if you're the Mariners, are you willing to trade some legitimate young starting talent in order to improve from a position player standpoint? If you're willing to do that as Jerry DePoto, then I would agree with the Morosi tweet. There is a fit here between these two teams. If you're talking about like Emerson Hancock, who's the number three prospect according to MLB Pipeline for the, the Seattle Mariners, he's got a 4.85 ERA though in Double A this season. You know he's he's got good strikeout stuff, 71 Ks in 59 innings. Emerson Hancock is definitely on the come as an MLB pitcher, starting pitching prospect. Brian Wu was their number five prospect, had. A 205 ERA in Arkansas at double A this year, and now has a 509 ERA in four starts with Seattle. But seems to be a guy that definitely has a bright future. If it's those two guys you're talking about, I think it's still interesting. But I think the Cardinals get into a different kind of tier of names they're willing to include. If you're talking George Kirby or Logan Gilbert, though, which again, I don't have any reason to believe that Seattle would do this, but if you are, that's when the Cardinals have to kind of put all of the cards on the table and be like, all right, I mean, Lars Newpar's garnered a lot of interest. What do you think of him? Brennan Donovan, I think, is the one guy the Cardinals would absolutely refuse to trade. You could be talking about some of the biggest 
packages out there. You could be talking about a Dylan Cease deal with the Chicago White Sox, which, again, I think it's worth paying attention to the standings when you talk about things like that. Make sure the White Sox are actually out of it. And they're kind of around where the Cardinals are right now. They're 32 and 44. Cardinals are 31 and 44. So rather similar, but that AL Central is so bad. The Twins are leading it right now at, at 500. So the White Sox are just six games back. But if it gets to a point where the White Sox just realize it ain't going to happen this year, maybe they do entertain a Dylan Cease trade. And if that's the case, you you might have to consider a, a Brennan Donovan. But I don't know if the league values Brennan Donovan as highly as, as the Cardinals do and should. If you watch the Cardinals every day, and believe me, I know the numbers are where they are for him, the ERA, the ERA, the OPS is at 758 and climbing, though. it's It's been climbing steadily over the last few weeks. He's going to be an upper 700s to maybe a, a north of 800 guy in terms of OPS. He can play every position, is a gold glover. Now, would he be a gold glover at every position? No, but what, what he adds in terms of the utility to a defense, he won the gold glove for that last year, and he makes plays at every position. He can lead off. He can. I mean, he can do it all. Brennan Donovan is a super valuable player. I think the Cardinals would protect him above Lars Newpar, honestly. And they really like Lars Newpar. They said this offseason, we're not trading him. Those are the two guys that I think, if you're the Cardinals, you're looking to improve your pitching at this deadline, whether it's for just this year, but mostly for the 2024, 2025. You want to make a move that can help you for the next couple of years and stabilize your rotation. I believe that Donovan and Newpar would be the two guys the Cardinals of the of that crop of young major league talent. And I'm not going to count Walker yet, although I guess he is uh, emerging out of the official prospect rank the more at-bats that he takes. I think he's officially aged out of that or uh, had his opportunities be such at the MLB level that he's no longer considered a prospect. But I'm going to take him out of this because I don't think there's any way the Cardinals trade him no matter what. And I think that's correct. I think the upside that he possesses, even if he never reaches it, that's the one guy that you go, yeah, you can't trade him, even if it's for a Dylan Cease, even if it's for a, 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 a literal ace starting pitcher. I, I just don't think if you're the Cardinals, you can stomach that. You got to see what he is. You got to find out. Because I think we have a pretty good idea, and, and Jordan Walker is expected to be very good. But of everybody else, I would say that Donovan and Newbar are the two that they would be the most protective of. And when I am talking about this grouping, I'm talking... Dylan Carlson's in that. Nolan Gorman is in that. Tommy Edmond is in that. I I would say the Cardinals, if I had to guess, would be most protective, most unwilling to listen when it comes to Brendan Donovan and Lars Newpar, and I think that's correct. I would, If I'm the Cardinals, I would be more willing to part with Gorman. The inconsistency, uh, he could be a star. He could hit 35 to 40 home runs in a given MLB season. That could be in his future. But the inconsistency is such that I think you're willing to use that to your benefit when you say, hey, he's already hit 15 homers this year and it's not even July 1st. Maybe there's a team that that wants to buy into that potential. It's not to say the Cardinals should be looking to trade him either. But I'm saying if you can get a bonafide ace type of guy, young pitcher that has team control attached to him, you have to be willing to consider things that otherwise you would not consider. And so when I'm looking at that group of players, again, Donovan, Newtbar, Gorman, Edmund, I put in that bunch just because he's very similar to Donovan in the flexibility that he brings. I think Donovan's got better plate skills. Uh, Edmund, I think, is a really fine hitter. I think Donovan might even be better. Um, But it's not a knock on Edmund to say that. I just think that highly of Brendan Donovan. 
And Donovan's a little younger with a little more team control attached, so that's beneficial in terms of teams looking for that via trade. And Dylan Carlson's in this as well, though I think his he, he sort of opens up another tier a little bit as you work down the roster and down the organization because, well, the Cardinals aren't sure he's an everyday player. I think he is, but I could understand it almost has to be the perfect scenario where you've got him in center field, you're taking advantage of that defense, or in right field if he's a you know if you have a a team that has a really good center field defender, you could put Carlson in right field and he would be one of the better MLB right fielders in my opinion. And then you probably would have to have some real power at your other outfield spots to be able to say Dylan Carlson really fits nicely in this roster. The reason it's a little bit of a, a stretch with the Cardinals and you're seeing the Cardinals kind of have to manage this way or feel like they do manage around it is because if Carlson's not providing power all right, let's just go all in on one element. Let's go all in on defense. And we feel that Tommy Edmond, this is the Cardinals speaking, we feel that Tommy Edmond can provide similar defensive value in center field, so we're going to play him. Paul DeYoung has been a good defender at shortstop, and he does provide that power at least more consistently so far. Uh, his OPS up to 770 with the Cardinals, but then it did drop off uh, down to 757, so I should correct myself. It's at 757 now after Wednesday. Carlson with a one for four days at 735. And I do like OPS because I, I think it's a, a quick and dirty way to just look at a guy and say, on base plus slugging, what's he what's he kind of giving you? And there are much deeper metrics by which to dive into these players. But if we're just going to go for the quick and dirty version as we run down a whole roster of names, I'm going to give you OPS usually as the first stat that I come up with. But again, the Cardinals have sort of made this decision, it seems, that They've got to value what Paul DeYoung is bringing to the table, honestly, and trying to extract what Nolan Gorman brings to the table when he's going well, even though he has been one of the the, the lowest-producing hitters in Major League Baseball over the past few weeks. It's just the reality. So I wonder if Dylan Carlson would be available for trade, if there's even any value to him, if I'm another savvy team that has a roster that fits around what Dylan Carlson brings, and then leaves room for the upside that he could turn into a guy that showcases more power, more consistency. I mean, you look at the the data on the batted balls from Dylan Carlson this year. There has been an improvement. There's been an improvement as well in the whiff rate. Like, he has done a lot of things from an offensive plate profile perspective better in 2023. He just hasn't gotten regular opportunity to know whether that's real, whether those improvements are real and sustainable. I tend to believe that they probably are simply because he was once a prospect with pedigree and is still just 24 years old and hasn't really done a lot in my mind to deserve like the scorn that sort of has come his way when it comes to the way we talk about players. So I'm going to look at Dylan Carlson and say there's probably some trade value there. He's got team control attached to him, but I would acknowledge a little lower than Donovan, a little lower than Newt Barr, lower than, than Edmund, even the way that Tommy Edmund has demonstrated versatility, and, and I think uh, the speed that is attached to his game as well would be attractive. Like I say, Nolan, Nolan Gorman is an interesting cut, but I'm going to say for sure with the power, the way MLB is gone, left-handed power, they're going to value that. Nolan Gorman's going to have more value via trade than Dylan Carlson as well. And then you get into some of the guys that, like, I, the Cardinals could trade them. I, I don't think the Cardinals would miss them in the way they're constructed. Alec Burleson could be a good MLB hitter. I think he's so-so defensively in the corner outfield. Maybe he plays first base somewhere, but does the bat dictate that he can be put there on a contending team? Probably not. So you could trade him. Juan Yepes, you could absolutely trade him. Any any of these guys, if, if a team wants a flyer on, 
I think you include them to get a deal done. That's perfectly fine. But we have to be realistic about what their trade value would be at this point in time. Burleson, Yepes. Uh, I, I I hesitate to even say Luke and Baker because I think that's another tier or two down. I don't know. He's 26 going on 27 years old, probably not considered a prospect, but has had a nice season at AAA, which should not be ignored. But it's just one of those deals that we got to be realistic about. If you don't really mind that he would be going elsewhere in a trade, I'm not, I'm just talking about any prospect or player. As you start to think hypothetically about trades, that probably means the team that would be receiving that player doesn't really is not enthused by that player either. It's a good test. Would you miss him? Would it hurt? How much would it hurt? That's what you should ask yourself as a fan to say, well, maybe the other team's not really looking to to take on your your spare parts for someone that's a, a bona fide in their rotation or in their pitching staff. But I do look at guys like Brendan Donovan and Tommy Edmond and they're winning players to me. Uh, Nola Gorman, there's no secret as to what would be the enticing element of his game. Now, all of this could be a moot point. Like John Moselak, to trade away guys that are under team control and are readily contributing to the big league team, like I said off the top of this com- conversation, is not his style. Historically, we haven't seen a lot of it. But you need pitching. It's no secret that this Cardinals team this year needs pitching, and they really are going to need it next year. So I've talked about this could be, the potential for this to be, a transformative deadline for the St. Louis Cardinals roster because guys like Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty, if they're pitching well at the deadline, will have value. You can trade those guys to a contending team. It's not against the law to trade them to a contender Stock up on prospects or young talent, regardless of position, identify. That's the job of the front office. Identify and recognize that you could definitely trade one of those guys, especially Montgomery. I think he's been he's got better numbers than Flaherty. Um, I, I think he's he's viewed probably as a more consistent every fifth day guy than Jack Flaherty, because really right now you just don't know what you're gonna get with Flaherty. If he has a great three weeks, Jack, in, in July, you could certainly try to capitalize on that if you're the Cardinals and trump up his trade value and see what's out there for him. But I could see trading at least one of those guys, if not both of them, to pick up assets to then either flip those assets or allow those assets to make you feel better about trading from within, trading the internal guys that you already had as the St. Louis Cardinals in a separate deal entirely or two to pick up pitching and ideally pitching that is under team control beyond this season. 24, 25, have guys for down the road. And that's what makes this Mariners conversation so interesting. I think the Cardinals and Mariners do match up really well. I don't I don't pretend to know what the Mariners like, who they specifically would be after for the Cardinals. But again, if for a moment, if we're going to talk about the idea that the Mariners would be open to trading anybody, the Cardinals would kind of have to be open to trading anybody other than Jordan Walker. I just I would you'll never find me on board with that because I just think the the upside is too tremendous. And whether he ultimately hits on it or not, I don't regret that decision. We could look at this five years from now, and Walker could just end up being you know, a Dylan Carlson-like bat, which I don't think is going to happen. But even if that did take place, I would still come back to this day and defend the take and say you got to just wait and see because those types of prospects don't come around often, and the Cardinals certainly don't get their hands on those types of, of power-hitting prospects very often. Complete offensive performer type of prospect, because I say power-hitting, He's just a hitter, Jordan Walker. So uh, regardless of the way his career plays out, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I'm going to say without the benefit of hindsight to know, I know that I am convicted in the way I view Jordan Walker and the way the Cardinals ought to handle him. And it's with 
the the lock and key all thrown away. Just he stays. Period. The end. There's no name. There's no Shohei Otani. Don't care. I mean, Otani, you're gonna have to pay. He's a one year one year guy. And that's another part that I think Cardinals fans have to remember when we're talking about these names and these trades. More than just the name and the production of that player, you have to remember what is the situation attached to that player. How does the team control play into it? Well, it's significant. You could almost argue it's everything. Because when we talk about Tyler O'Neill, people say, oh, trade Tyler O'Neill for pitching. I'm like, again, use that litmus test that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Will you miss Tyler O'Neill on the St. Louis Cardinals? If the answer to that is no, don't expect that some other team is going to ask for him and be willing to give up a pitcher that they value as a part of their team. It just doesn't work that way. And he's only got one year of team control remaining in 2024, so it's not like he's a long-term project either. He's going to be a free agent before long. That decreases your trade value. A lot of people want to talk about Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Trade those guys. You won't hear me talking about it on this podcast. I don't think it makes any sense. Unless we start to hear some real smoke about Paul Goldschmidt, and I don't think we'll ever hear any about Arenado, nor will I expect Goldschmidt to actually get to that point. And he's got a no trade, by the way. But until that happens, we're just not going to talk about it because it it doesn't make sense to me if you're a Cardinals team looking to contend in 2024. We can argue till we're blue in the face about it. I've done it with a lot of people that their opinions are no worse than mine, but I just don't see eye to eye on the idea that, yeah, you trade Paul Goldschmidt for young talent and then suddenly that makes you better in 2024. I get it. He's 36 years old, going on 36 years old. And so he's probably not going to be around forever, but I think he's a guy that lasts another few years if he wants to continue playing and the Cardinals can sign him to a, a short extension and he's still your best player. I mean, he's one of your two or three best players, probably your number one best player. Depends on how he's going versus Arenado offensively, but that's the reality of this. And and if you're a team looking to contend next year, and to me, Cardinals fans should be demanding it. Cardinals fans, it's crazy how when we're talking MLB the show type of trades, Cardinals fans are like, yeah, you could trade Goldsmith, and then I know they can get a few prospects, and that'll make it better for next year. Maybe down the road, you're glad you got one of those prospects, and I get that mindset. I just don't think it's one that Cardinals fans should allow the front office to take. I think it should be unacceptable. I think they Paul Goldsmith should be a Cardinal the rest of his career. I think they should figure out a way to put a team around him and start winning some damn games and going to the playoffs and, and winning when you get there as well. That's what I think Cardinals fans should expect. Um, I feel like sometimes fans think they're being savvy by saying, well, I know the way this works and we should we should look to the future. Looking to the future would be painful. I don't believe trading Paul Goldschmidt makes you better in 2024, so I personally don't believe that Cardinals fans should stand for it. But like I said, it, your opinion is no worse than mine if you feel that way. I just am not going to spend a ton of time talking about what they could get for Paul Goldschmidt because I just I, I think it's a non-starter in my opinion. But there are, are guys that could be traded if John Moselak looks in the mirror and says, we've got to make changes to the way we view this. We can't only ever trade guys after we've completely torpedoed their trade value by stashing them on the bench like Dylan Carlson or waiting until they play themselves into you know, a lesser tier like an Alan Craig uh, in the days of yore. Like that's been historically Colby Erasmus. Historically, when Cardinals trade MLB guys, it's because they've, lost some luster, or they were about to. They were about to fall off that cliff, and the Cardinals wanted to get out before it was too late. At some point, you you trade a guy when he's got value. 
because you can get something good for him. That's not easy, and and that's a tough thing sometimes to explain to a clubhouse, too, who says, hey, we're relying on that guy. But that's part of the business of baseball, and I wonder if that's the kind of trade deadline John Moselak and the Cardinals can have. Like I've said, I wouldn't trade Donovan. I wouldn't trade Lars Newpart, but I also am looking at this and going, Cardinals have got to, if, if a Logan Gilbert or a George Kirby becomes available, you sort of has, have to change your mindset. And if there's ever a, a GM that would trade a guy in a category that you would just normally consider untradeable, I think Jerry Depoto is that guy. So I'm very intrigued by the notion of Mariners as a trade partner for the Cardinals. Again, this is from the John Morosi tweet where he said, hey, they've got young pitchers. Cardinals have young hitters. Maybe there'll be a match. Nothing imminent, nothing that has made progress. But I wonder if John Moselak, on those talks that didn't make progress before, might should be a little bit more willing to think about the hard trade and the blockbuster type of trade of a young MLB hitter that is helping your team, like a Lars Newpar. And maybe you can you can do it with prospects instead. You know, the Cardinals have other prospects. But considering that avenue, if the Mariners are willing to talk the top shelf when it comes to their starting pitchers. If it's a lower tier, then you look at it and you go, well, they, they're not getting our top guys like Brendan Donovan or Lars Newpar for a lower tier of pitcher, a prospect status guy that we're there's no way to be as sure about because we haven't really seen it be successful at the MLB level the way that a Kirby or a Gilbert has been. That, I think, it's a little bit sticky because I could see the Mariners wanting to say, look, these are top prospects of ours, and so you can trade some top prospects of yours or some elite talent. Like, I'm very curious to see what could potentially manifest here, but in looking elsewhere on the Mariners roster, by the way, I like some of their other players as well. I like Matt Brash. That's a reliever for them who um, used to be a starting prospect, did not pan out early last year as a starter, has settled in mid-three ZRA. I like Matt Brash. I think he's kind of interesting and has team control attached if you're talking about relievers. Don't know if they trade him, but again, that's a different kind of level of verification when it comes to DePoto because the answer is probably usually yes, he'd trade anybody for the right deal, especially with the frustration that he has. Trading a reliever I don't think would bother him. So I like Matt Brash. I think that would be an interesting guy to target if you're talking about a larger blockbuster deal between the Cardinals and Mariners. I also want to bring up this name. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing it correctly. Jonathan Class A, double-A outfielder, Arkansas Travelers, is a guy that I find very interesting. A speedster, he's 21 years old, smaller guy, listed at five foot nine, 150. So not necessarily a, a guy that's going to give you a ton of power, you wouldn't think. But then again, at, at that listing, he's hit 16 home runs this season. Had an 1,154 OPS at high A which if he was 21 years old, he was probably a little old to be playing at high A and, and be thinking, okay, that's it's time to move him up, which he had a 700 slugging percentage down there in 21 games. So they moved him up. OPS in double A is 766, has nine home runs and 159 at-bats, which is like pretty good for it. Again, I don't think there's any way this guy can only be 150 pounds. But anyway, he's listed at 5'9", 150. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm looking at that like the deals. I'm remembering the 2018 deals they did when they traded away Tommy Pham. And I think John Torres was an outfielder that was like a a younger outfielder that they picked up in that deal. Didn't end up panning out. But if you were going to lap on kind of a a prospect-ish guy into a deal with the Mariners, Jonathan Classe is a guy that I would be very interested in for the Cardinals. 
Another fascinating element of his game as well. It looks like between high A and double A this season, he has stolen a total of 42 bases. I want to check this out on baseball reference because I'd like to see if I can figure out how many times he's been caught stealing. But to give you an idea of, of the speed he possesses, yeah, he's got 42 stolen bases, has been caught nine times, according to baseball reference, which only lists him with 41 steals, but he must have stolen another bag today, and they don't update that until overnight. So pretty good success rate, you know, not incredible, but pretty good in terms of the stolen base success rate. 42 steals in less than half a season, and he's hit 16 home runs between the two levels that he's played. I'm intrigued by the raw tools of that guy, even even though he's kind of a, a smaller player. I just think he's a really interesting prospect. MLB Pipeline has Class A listed as 11th on the uh, the prospect list for the Mariners, a 2024 name. Let me know what you think of these names. Let me know who else you see for the Mariners that if the Cardinals and Mariners are going to link up on a trade, you would like to see them get. And let me know if you like this style of episode as well. We don't always dive into the hypotheticals, but as trade deadline season approaches and different rumors and reports come around, I think it could kind of be interesting to dive into them a little bit, especially talking about different teams and who could be interesting if the Cardinals are going to go shopping at the deadline because I think they need the kind of trade deadline that sees maybe they do trade a couple of guys from the big league roster and guys that you don't necessarily want traded. I'm not advocating to trade Brendan Donovan or Lars Newpar. I'm not advocating to even trade Nolan Gorman necessarily. But I think the Cardinals have to kind of update their model and the way they look at things and recognize that sometimes it takes money to make money. Well, it's the same concept when you talk about talent. And they've got guys like Mason Wynn on the way. They've got guys that I think if they can maybe clear the deck a little bit, those players could flourish and thrive and be given opportunities at the MLB level. I don't know the specific correct answer of who to trade, who to keep, who to invest in, who to unload. Those are questions that John Mozeliak Mike Gersh, Randy Flores, that whole staff has got to answer within the front office and try to make the best of this trade deadline. But the Mariners fascinate me as a potential match for the Cardinals just because I know that Jerry Depoto is itching to make moves. And the Cardinals genuinely do have interesting position players to offer up. So let me know who you think the Cardinals could potentially move. Who should they move? Who do you want to see them keep? You can comment all of this below on the YouTube channel video. And make sure to get all your thoughts in on a potential match between the Cardinals and Mariners at this upcoming MLB trade deadline. And make sure you subscribe to the channel as well. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. Subscribe for Cardinals content all season long. And make sure you're following B-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. And one more quick shout-out, too, for the Brendan Schaefer Fantasy Football channel that you'll be able to access uh, as a featured channel from my main St. Louis Cardinals YouTube channel, that's going to be something kicking up this fall as well. Feel free to check me out on all the other social medias, patreon.com slash bshafer12, the place to be if you want some access to bonus content or you just want to support the work that we do here on Bshafe Daily and on the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel. That is going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Bshafe Daily. Peace!